Well, a good evening, brothers and sisters. Good, it's good to be with you. What a song, man. Those lyrics are amazing. Um, I have the privilege tonight uh, to start off our Missions Emphasis Month. Uh, the Compelled by the Gospel Missions Emphasis. And my subject tonight is on prayer related to missions. Entitled, Why Are We Compelled to Pray? For the advance of the gospel. My goal is to encourage us to pray, specifically compel us to get on our knees, acknowledging our total dependence on God, most especially during this Missions Month emphasis. The theme of this is prayer fuels mission because mission is God's mission. We are simply asking Him to do. What we, what we know he wants us to do, and to do it through us. Oh, Lord, do not pass us by. Turn with me to Romans 1.8. But Paul writes this. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. I just want to look at uh, possibly three points from this uh, just this, this text and then make some evaluations and how it can pertain for us to be compelled to pray during especially this time of missions. Uh, I'm reminded about the importance of prayer. I, we had gone on a trip to, uh, to Honduras uh, last August and what was amazing and, and true was this. We had a, before we got on that bus to go to the airport, we had about 35 to 40 people pray over here at Building B. It was an amazing time. I would say it's what strengthened all of us to, to be energized, to be strengthened, to be affirmed. And it really helped us to, to gather together in unity and to see that many people committed to pray for us. And it, I would say it was, it's what helped us throughout the whole trip. Imagine 16 people. How do you even organize something like that? without stepping on each other's toes, you know, and still have the unity. And, uh, and God really strengthened us throughout that time. It was amazing, you know. Paul writes this. He says, I first thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I want to bring out about three points from this passage. We are compelled to pray for the advance of the gospel because God's name is to be hallowed to all the nations. And I'll kind of cover as to where, where do I get that from this text. We must pray, secondly, because we are proclaiming the message of obedience of faith in Christ to all nations, people, tongues, and tribes, tongues, and nations, who willfully reject the truth of God in Christ. We must be compelled to pray because prayer opens the doors in the world for the gospel to advance. And then fourthly, we must be compelled to pray because prayer moves the heart of the church, that's us, towards the heart of God for his mission. Let me pray. Lord, be with us now as we look at this passage and these truths with regards to uh, missions. Uh, cause us to meditate on these truths and speak to us deeply, uh, perhaps uh, we're not even considering these things. Uh, perhaps it's, we're, our attitude is, oh, we're just having another missions month. We do this annually. Would you, Lord, speak to us tonight to prepare our hearts? 
this is at the heartbeat of what you are doing around the world. As, as Julian was reading that Matthew 6, this is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so unite us, in our hearts, to, uh, to, to be in line with your will and what you're doing locally and globally in exalting your son. Bless our time together now, I pray. Send the spirit to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to begin with is as in this verse 8, before we get into Paul's prayer of thanksgiving here, look at the context. He says in verse 1, he was called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, the good news of God, which later he'll define as, is the good news of through Christ, his son, you know, uh, concerning his son, he says. But notice he says, which he prophesied beforehand throughout his, through, his, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's declaring the theme of the Old Testament Scriptures is this thought about nations and reaching the lost with the good news. The nations. Which he promised beforehand through the promise in the Holy Scriptures. Paul is indicating in the Old Testament Scriptures theme is that God will, has a plan. His will has always been to declare his glory to all peoples. Let me give you an example. This was one of the verses we, we meditated on before we got on that bus to go to Honduras. First Chronicles 16.28. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Literally, you nations of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, here it is, glory and strength. We're to ascribe glory to his name. We know and we're familiar with Isaiah 49.6. It's too small of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the protected ones of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations. There it is, to the Gentiles, to the nations. To all people groups, to all tongues, tribes, people, and nations, so that my salvation may be reached to the end of the earth. The breadth of his glory, the height of his, of his person demands all people groups, all tribes, tongues, and nations must see his glory, his perfections. And here he's declaring it's through his servant, which we know is the son. Malachi 1.11, God's name will be great among all nations. If you do a study of the Old Testament, the word nations is referenced over 500 times in the Old Testament. What's the point? It has always been God's predetermined plan to exalt his name to all peoples. Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, and Julian read this, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What's your will? What's, what's to be done? His name to be glorified to all peoples. Paul narrows this further. Notice in, in, in verses 1 through 7, he further narrows this further by declaring, concerning his son, that's Christ, he was born the descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God. That's who he is. He's God in the flesh with the power of the Spirit, of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom, we, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all Gentiles in behalf of his name. And that is the gospel, right? That is, he says, obedience of faith. 
in particular to the message of Christ, the good news, as Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15, 11, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day he was raised according to the scripture. It's referencing to the Old Testament passages that declare that, and that he appeared over 500. He appeared to, to James and Paul and Cephas, and then he says this, he says, of which I am the least of, the, of them. Then he declares, by grace, and it's by faith you believe in this. This is the good news. And so he, he's declaring that the gospel is about the obedience of faith. What's that? That we are on king's orders to go declare that you be reconciled to Christ, trust in his what he's done on the cross on your behalf. He's our king. You obey him by faith in what he's done or else you be judged. You know, we often talk about, I'm going to go share the gospel, right? I'm going to go uh, share with my friends about the gospel. Sharing is particularly not necessarily a good word when we're talking about proclaiming. In Acts 1.8, he said this, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even every corner on earth. And the word, therefore, you shall be my witnesses, is not you shall be my sharers. It's you shall be my martyrs. You shall be those that may have have to be put to death for proclaiming this message of the king. That you be obedient in faith, lest he what? He puts you to judgment. You can be reconciled to him now. Obedience of faith, trust in him, trust what he's done on the cross, lest he be your judge and cast you into other darkness with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're to proclaim, we're to tell people, obey in obedience and faith and receive his gift of grace. Why must we pray? Secondly, because we are proclaiming a message of obedience of faith in Christ. Think about who we're proclaiming it to. We're, we're proclaiming it to people who willfully reject the truth of God in Christ. Look at, look at the way Paul writes this further in Romans 1, 8, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness, and the other translations, who, who because of their wickedness press down, suppress the truth of the existence of God. Like you're offering them good news. You're offering them a way to be reconciled with God. You're, you're letting them know about grace, good tidings, a peace. And what do they do? They suppress the truth and tell you, I don't want any of that. I don't need that. I'm fine the way I am. I've got my religion. I pray the prayer of the Hail Mary. I, I confess my sins at a booth. I get on, uh, as, as, I, I lacerate myself every Lent season. I got my own way of doing things. That is why we must pray because God is sending us to people who reject the truth 
in wickedness, who suppress it. And here's what's amazing. Notice in verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, both to Jew and also to the Greek. Paul's confidence is this, that we, we, I proclaim, I suffer for the gospel, I proclaim it because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And I would say that's an encouragement for us to pray, to ask. If the gospel is the way that people can only be saved through this message, right? We must continue to pray that, which is what they actually need to remove the blinders, to remove the the resistance, the hardness, the rebellion. The gospel has power to transform because it's, it's, it's the message that saves. That's the only way to be saved, and that's what we proclaim. Do you believe this? It's interesting when... Uh, I, I hear about some of the brothers going out for evangelism to the farmer's market. That's wonderful. And they, uh, sometimes you hear about, well, we try to share or we try to argue about the existence of God and the scriptures and the existence of Christ. If you're proclaiming truth, there's nothing else you could add to it. It's the truth. Think about that for a minute. If it's truth, what can be added to it? No, our, 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 our work and what we do in our ministry is this. Proclaim it. Declare it. Why? It's already absolute truth. And if you're not proclaiming, there's no power, according to Paul. There's no power. The gospel is the power. So get to the gospel. Just proclaim it. And step back and see what happens. That's what happened to me. I was listening to the gospel. I thought I had already known it all. And I just hear this. It, it wasn't even a yeller like Steve, you know. He was, he was actually very nice and tender and soft. But I tell you, 10 minutes into it, my pride was broken. My eyes were open. My heart had new affections. He said, it wasn't about giving gifts or how pretty the wrappings are on those gifts or lighting up your Christmas tree or decorating your house, you know. He says it was about the glory of a person and you've offended him. But here's what's amazing and this is why it's called the good news. He goes to the cross in your stead to take your judgment, the wrath that you deserve, put it upon him and in return... He gives you the greatest reward and present, his righteousness that you are now clothed with so that when you stand before a holy God, you're counted as righteous, as if you committed no sin. That's what grips you. See, that's power when you proclaim it. You don't have to make excuses for it. And this is Paul's confidence here. He says, we must pray and be compelled to pray because Those that we're going to go to and proclaim it to don't want to receive it. But yet at the same time, the paradox of it is God has the power to change even the vilest offender who truly believes. Amen? Thirdly, we must be compelled to pray because prayer opens the door 
in the world for the gospel to advance. Notice how Paul says this in verse 8, 1a. I thank my God. What's he thanking God for? Through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now think about that statement. What's in, what's in that? What's he really thinking about? Yes, their belief. Belief in what? That they've received the glory of what God has what has been declared, that the prophets have declared, even in the Old Testament, and now being declared in Christ. He says, I, I thank God for that. That actually his name, his his fame, his glory is seen and received. Yes, secondarily, he, he says, I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that people are getting saved. But ultimately, the context is more, I'm thankful because God's name is being vindicated and hallowed. And he says, that's why in Thanksgiving, I pray. I'm praying that people are actually seeing the glory of God in his perfections, his holiness, his righteousness, and in his mercy and his grace in giving us his son. This is why we're compelled to pray. The opposite of that, if you're not compelled to pray, you're not thankful. You're not grateful. You don't have his fame in mind. You don't have his glory treasured in your heart. You've got something else you're treasuring. You're holding on to something else that's special to you, but it's not his glory or his fame. That's frightening, isn't it? You know, we're going to have a, a time for prayer. And I would pray that as a church, we're, we're encouraged to come and pray. Why? Because we're gripped by the fact that we must exalt his name to every tribe, people, tongue, and nations. If that's not in our heart, then there's something else we're treasuring. There's something else we're, we're hanging on to. And so I would say, let's examine ourselves. You know, we're gonna, Greg's going to come up here and give us the schedule. And I would pray that we put it in our, in our calendars. We would make a change of setting our alarm clocks at 6 o'clock so we could be down here by 6.30. I would pray that we would make it a priority. Can we even get 15 minutes on our knees for this very things that we should be compelled to do? Or we've got too many other things we're taking care of in our lives. It's more valuable, more important. You see, there's no, he says you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one or hate the other. And I would invite us to examine our hearts and say, what am I really treasuring? Is his glory and his fame that which is so much valuable to me that I'm willing to at least give up my time to, be, to ask him, Lord, do you want to send me somewhere? Can you use me to, to proclaim? Can you use me to, of my time, my resources? Can I have a devotion that says in my heart, I'm making this a priority that I'll even change my schedule. I'll even change the way I, I order things in my life. Or else it's just lip service. See, it's all just lip service. 
Paul asked of the church in Colossians 4, 3 and 4, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Prayer opens opportunities for the gospel to be shared that previously seemed like closed doors. We would think, well, I can't go into the hospitals. I can't go into this place right here. I can't do that. I can't witness to my neighbor. How do you know that until you've asked? How do you know? James says, the reason you don't ask, that's not in your heart. You got something else you're asking for that's not in line with his will. Oh, Lord, give me a new battery for my cell phone. Give me, give me, give me more of this. Give me more of that. In prayer, the impossible becomes the practical. Like when Peter was in prison in Acts 12, remember? The church was what? They were praying for God to release Peter. And what did God do? He opened the iron gate, leading them into the city. Acts 12, 20. Acts 12, 10. In that, he says, they experienced this. Peter realized that nothing would have held back the kingdom of God from advancing as the church prayed. Man, can you imagine if we prayed like this? Lord, open the, open the, the, the schools in Vallejo, junior high, high school, elementary schools. Open, open the local colleges that you would give us an open door to go in there and have ministries and proclaim the gospel. Open the iron gates, as it were, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, because your power can be seen in the way you move in answering these, these, these prayers. It's, it, it is prayer that helps us to connect with people who are open to the gospel. It is prayer that leads us to the right place at the right time to take the steps that only God could orchestrate. Prayer connects the church to the activity of God who is empowering his people to advance the message of his kingdom. Amen? Do you believe this? Well, get down here at 6.30 the whole week if you have to. We should, we, should have, we should have people begging to come into the prayer sessions, Greg. We should have people say, man, is there any room left? You know? I pray that would be the case. Lastly, we must be compelled to pray because prayer moves the heart of the church towards the heart of God for his missions. You remember in Luke 10, Jesus, when he sent out the disciples to all the places, he himself planned to visit in Luke 10. He told them to pray that God would send workers into the harvest field. Then he said, go, I'm sending you as the answer to their own prayer. The cross reference to this is Matthew 9, 36. He says, seeing the crowds, right? (coughs) He felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and downcast and like sheep without a shepherd. They were lacerated by the cares of life. They were vexed and, and debilitated by the things they had invested their, their time and soul and energy to that was not satisfying them. I would say that's like a captive audience in our culture today. Amen? We would sometimes pray, we would say, we would sometimes think, oh, they deserve it. They got themselves into that mess. No. I would say, 
that is a captive audience that's in anxiety and fear and without hope, without God in this world. Ephesians 2. So then we would see it as an opportunity. Man, I got all these people to, to declare and proclaim the gospel to. They're a captive audience. What else do they have better than the gospel? So let's switch our, our attitude, our thinking, and be bold to, to invite them to church, invite them to Bible study, to invite them to come here to proclaim good news. Because what else are they hearing throughout the week? Bad news, right? We have the message that saves. Why wouldn't we pray for this? Why wouldn't we be stirred to get on our knees? Think about, I asked this when, uh, down over in uh, Honduras. Think about three or four people that you've been praying for and you know whether it's a relative or a friend or a neighbor. And they don't know Christ. And they're going straight to hell. They have no other alternative. They're going straight to hell. And you have the opportunity to invite or, or go to them and, and be bold and proclaim Christ and give them good news. Wouldn't you have the compassion of Christ here? He says he felt compassion for them. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Notice, it's the Lord who sends out workers. Did you get that? Sometimes we think, okay, we, we've got this missions internship program. We've got to get them in there. We've got to start training these people. All the while forgetting, wait a minute. It's Christ who sends people out. Yes, we're to, to, to set it up and we're to disciple and we're to nurture and develop. But we must be, always be mindful he says, that you're to ask me. I'm the one that's going to ultimately send people. I'm sovereign. It's my will. And so we must plead. And the word plead here is, it's not like, kind of like a soft request. The idea of pleading is, if you had a child and you found out they had cancer, how would, you, how would you plead? How would you ask? The idea is you're begging for mercy. You're begging God for help because you have no other alternative. Chemo won't help. They're in stage six. How would you ask? What would be your tone of asking? Are you pleading for your friends, your families, your neighbors this way? Oh, that God would cause us to pray this way, this coming Missions Month emphasis. And let's see what the Lord can do. Because he is predisposed, he says, that he will send out workers. Why else would he encourage them to plead, ask to send out workers if he wasn't predisposed to giving this request? So I would ask you, brothers and sisters, to think about these things that encourage us. We're compelled because it's, it's his name. It's his, it's his kingdom come, not our will be done. It's his will be done. We're compelled because those that we're trying to 
reach and proclaim the gospel to want to suppress the truth and wickedness. Let's turn that around and say, what an opportunity. If God does turn the heart of this person, just like he did me, then I know it's all his glory. It's all his purpose. It's all his work. Amen? Don't we want to see God's name magnified that way? Thirdly, we, we, we pray because as a church, we're, he says we're to pray for open doors, the doors of the world for the gospel to advance. And that's why he declares it here that he says, throughout the world, I'm giving thanks that these things are actually happening. And I would say in the last 37 years I've been here at CBC, this gospel message has been going out, and it's been amazing. Think about, you know, if we were to have documented all the things that have been going on at, at this little local body, 710 Broadway here, the, and just categorize and just wrote down, uh, I would say it's pretty close to like with these, when you read about these great awakenings and, and these movements of the spirit, the number of, of youths and people and their parents getting saved just hearing the gospel, God using us. And so we would pray, Lord, do more of that. Glorify your name even greater. In our next baptism service, maybe there'd be more that come in through, the, through these doors. And so let me just give you an example of why prayer is so important. <clears throat> in my second missionary trip down to Mindanao, <clears throat> Nilo invited my family to come down there for about a week. So, you know, typically you, you, you take off at SFO. <clears throat> it's 12 o'clock midnight. It's the cheapest fare, of course. Um, so they take off uh, about an hour later, as soon as you're up in the air, right? They turn off all the lights. So it's dark because they want you to sleep, you know, which is good. So I tried sleeping, and all, and all of a sudden this fear came over. I was like, what am I thinking? What am I doing? I'm bringing my whole family down over to Mindanao. And fear just started to grip me. So God got me to pray. I just started praying in my seat. And, and about 30 minutes later, God started to work on my heart. And I prayed and asked him, Lord, you have sent us here. There's a purpose as to why you're bringing us there. Lord, I, I, I beg of you, please, help us through this. Let no hindrances get in the way of proclaiming the gospel there to our brothers and sisters down in Mindanao. And God just gave me this blessed assurance, this, this, this spirit-filled conviction. It's okay, Nick, it's okay. I'll take care of you. My promises are sure in Christ. And I was, we were strengthened and we were able to go to like three different places down in, in Mindanao without any hindrances. There were challenges, of course. We had to eat balut one night, you know. <laughs> Kids go, okay, what's for dinner, Dad? Whatever they're feeding you, you got to eat that. It happened, be, it, happened be, it happened to be the balut, you know. I said, don't worry, you'll like it. Because if you don't, you're going to starve for about three days. Guess what? 
They loved it. See? I can do all things through Christ who what? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I encourage you tonight. Let's get on our knees this coming week. What a privilege to pray. Amen? We have a king who is already predisposed and gave us his own life for us, took our wrath for us. What more can we uh, give back in return for the great things he's already done in our lives? Amen? So I encourage you, let's get together and pray this coming weeks and then see what the Lord will do in the, in the coming months. Lord, we just commit this time to you now as we're going to take time to pray. Thank you for your word. That even through the example of the Apostle Paul, this missionary, think about all his beatings, his sufferings, his being chased as a criminal, his being put to jail for the gospel. And yet he can say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Oh, give us a heart like that, Lord, I pray. These coming times that we are getting together for praying and and, uh, focusing on the real main thing of exalting your name and your son to all the nations wherever you have planned to send us. Lord, give us a heart that's willing to go and willing to sacrifice our comforts, as it were. Really, uh, it's all for your glory. It's all for your fame. It's all for your name. It's, and we should take joy in that and that knowing certainly you will provide all things we need because you're not going to call us to do things that you will have not already had set for us to be provided for and provisions to be made. So that your name will be magnified. Because that's your fame. That's your glory. And so bless our time now as we pray. In Jesus' name.